Let's be honest. Life's hard sometimes. We get discouraged, struggle in our faith, and it's easy to feel alone. Despite how you might feel sometimes, know that God's got your back. And so do we. Vision's prayer line team are ready to pray for whatever you're going through. Text your prayer request to 0401 132 888 and we will be praying for you. Or click prayerline at vision.org.au. That's 0401 132 888 or vision.org.au. It's another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Now, if you've ever lost a loved one to cancer, you'll know that those organizations and charities that support cancer sufferers are hugely valuable. Today is World Cancer Day. And this year, the start of World Cancer Day coincides with what is known as FebFast, which is the Go Alcohol Free for February project. The Dalgano Institute is encouraging all Australians to utilise this opportunity to not only take stock of alcohol consumption, but more to reflect on those factors that can motivate us to go beyond the idea of slowing a bad habit and to contemplate and step towards having a healthier, smarter and potentially longer life. Shane Varco is the CEO at Dalgano Institutes, and Shane's joining us through this coming hour. Hello, Shane. Welcome back to 2020. Oh, hello, Neil. Happy New Year to yourself and all your <laughs> listeners as well. Good to be here. Thank you so much, Shane. Uh, we always have some compelling conversation, oftentimes gets a little controversial, and always appreciate the fact that you're happy to answer all comers and all questions. Sure. When it comes sure. to... Not by design. Not by design. <laughs> <laughs> you are particularly good at it. And we're going to talk alcohol today. Oftentimes we're talking about drugs, mm-hmm. uh, but yep. of course uh, you do include alcohol in the category of drugs, don't you? Because when we talk about alcohol and drugs, sometimes people tend to separate those, but uh, they're all in the one mix, aren't they? Oh, indeed. Uh, alcohol is, uh, with the statement in the sector particularly around describing substance use or misuse, it's uh, the term alcohol and other drugs is the standard form of engagement with the language. So alcohol, because it's illegal, socially acceptable and certainly a long-standing staple in a lot of our cultures, particularly the Western culture, um, it's not often not seen as a drug. It's seen as a condiment, um, and it can be that, of course. But uh, but uh, tragically, it is a drug and, and a very dangerous drug. And its legality and its social acceptance is what makes it even more dangerous than some of the other ones uh, in some respects, because it is engaged so freely, so uh, often, so openly, without real real understanding of some of the complexities of the of the the substance itself. Yeah, so yeah, that that's uh, it's important. That's why I'm really excited that uh, well, World Cancer Day always falls on the fourth of February, but uh, Febfast and, and other groups like what we do at Dalgano Institute, we have our fence building fortnight, which is a fortnight without alcohol to raise money and funds for different organisations. That can be done any time of the year. But the idea, again, as you've beautifully put, is to engage people in a, in a thinking process and a conversation that goes beyond simply, oh well. I'll, I'll go drive for a while, do my bit, tick the box, and then get back into it when February's over, which uh, often isn't very helpful, as some of the uh, evidence is now 
producing. I imagine that February could be a time to maybe start to form a new habit. But look, before we move on from this whole issue of alcohol and other drugs, because alcohol is a legal drug and because there is a huge industry that supports mm-hmm. alcohol, is this idea that somehow or other alcohol is separated from the other drugs, do you think that's a part of the marketing campaigns of the alcohol industry and perhaps something we need to see through? Oh, good question. Um, very good question, actually. I think they're going into a long you know, dialogue or monologue about that. It is certainly a key issue. One of the things about just juxtapose it with tobacco, for example, which is the other drug in the national drug strategy. We have tobacco, alcohol and illicit drugs, of course. So... With alcohol, for example, uh, well, for example, with tobacco, we, we've got the Quit campaign, which is in play, which is a, a fabulous campaign, done in exceptionally well on international standards. Australia is arguably the lowest uh, user of da- t- tobacco daily in the world because of our relentless push uh, to have one voice, one message, and one focus in the marketplace on this legal drug of tobacco called Quit. And there are no other dissenting voices, no other you know, academic and or educational and all government and all media uh, noisemakers saying, oh, no, it's okay to smoke every now and then. It's okay to smoke here and there. No, the message is clear. One voice, one focus, one message. But, and we did that because about you know, 25, 30 years ago, the, the tobacco, the cost of tobacco to society from a health perspective uh, hit the, roughly the uh, $30 billion mark annually. So it was costing us huge amounts of money. And we taxed the, uh, the living daylights out of this stuff and did all sorts of things, and the revenues collected from that, uh, on an average, uh, a few years ago, was about $6 uh, billion a year. So it was kind of, I think that was the data that we were looking at then. So again, the shortfall was quite magnificent in that sense. And so the government's gone, well, there's no trade-off here. Let's, let's come out against this. Let's reduce demand, reduce supply, and change the cultural habit. Now, that works spectacularly. But when it comes to alcohol, the difficulty it is, and you've alluded to this, is the industry itself provides a product that that causes all sorts of harms, which we can go into later on. And uh, But the marketing of this is a, a really big deal. And, of course, with all products, the younger you get your client, the longer you have them in the market uh, as, for, as a customer. So that's a really important issue. So reducing uh, exposure to young people is a really key issue. And through sport and all those sort of things is really important. So advertising is a big issue. But interestingly enough, the, the alcohol industry also does contribute... Because of demand, uh, it's kind of one of those interesting and demand and supply interesting scenarios. It does add to the economy significantly more than tobacco does. So hospitality, you know, venues, um, restaurants all have that as part of it. So the revenue gained from the deployment of alcohol is significantly higher than tobacco. So the trade-off is harder, even though the cost of alcohol are growing when looking according to the Foundation of Alcohol Research and Education, a few years back they came up with a $36 billion annual tag on the cost of alcohol consumption in the community, which is huge, and it certainly exceeds that of tobacco. But because of the the amount of uh, economic input that alcohol brings in other areas, for employment, particularly employment, it does push it out beyond uh, the, the revenues from that are significantly higher than $6 billion. In fact, it's higher than $36 billion. So the government is still in that trade-off space, wanting to reduce demand and reduce the harms of it, but not willing to go after it as hard as they have with tobacco. Well, we're going to get a focus on alcohol through this hour, and I'll invite listeners. You might have your own thoughts as a Christian 
what you think of alcohol and uh, when we talk about it in a health sense like this, uh, you might have your own uh, thoughts. You might have your own thoughts about alcohol uh, from a moral position, uh, what Christians feel about alcohol, what the Bible teaches about alcohol, because typically we could say that the Bible doesn't outlaw having alcohol, and uh, that's a whole big debate, and you might like to contribute along those lines. But we'll talk health issues primarily today and an important context here because while we're singling out alcohol today, Shane, uh, one third of all cancer cases could be prevented through healthy lifestyle choices. And uh, so when you've got things like healthy diet, uh, being physically active, quitting smoking, being sun smart and limiting alcohol. So we're not singling alcohol out because there's a whole lot of lifestyle factors here, aren't there? Absolutely. No, look, absolutely. We're not here to to beat up on alcohol specifically today. It's just interesting that the the coinciding of World Cancer Day and obviously FebFast is an important distinction. And because of the data that came out this last, in the last 12 months, and particularly from Lancet, which is one of the global uh, academic journals on the planet, and and not a... uh, not a conservative journal, and if I can use those terms, and not a journal that tends to lean towards uh, abstinent or prohibition messaging. So, but they've come out quite clearly that uh, they've said if you want to maximise your longevity for life, maximise your health outcomes, then not drinking at all is your best option. So when you when you've got a, a, a that sort of public journal and high high research quotient and, and incredible uh, research breadth. They've come out with this, looking at all the data across the world, including World Health Organization reports, global uh, data collection agencies and the impact and studies from that. You, you're seeing a very clear message. Look, if you want to live a longer and healthier life, don't drink. But that's not the only reason, you know, that, that's not the only fact that people add into. But, of course, if you're, you're right, Neil, if you've got that with a lot of sugar intake, which you know, alcohol is a lot of that sometimes, a lot of sugar intake, fatty foods, no exercise, sedentary lifestyles. You know, uh, of course, again, you mentioned SunSmart, you know, and it's becoming more an issue. All those elements can combine, and that kind of cohort impact of those those issues can be be quite obviously detrimental to the individual. So, what what you can do is by eliminating uh, things that aren't really necessary from your life, uh, including alcohol, is not necessary. It's not. It's, there's no. Um, there's no nutritional value in it. There is no. Um, it is. It, it, it is ethanol, but, but, and it is a class one carcinogen. It's actually got the same rating as asbestos, which a lot of people don't talk about because it sounds very dramatic, but it does. Wow. It's a class one carcinogen. So we know that you know these. And this is not something you need to live to get by to to be healthy to function well, unless of course. You're struggling and emotionally, and then people are self-medicating, which is not a good way to deal with your issues. But again, that that buys into a whole new narrative about why people engage with the substance in the first place. But yeah, I think certainly the the, the more you can excise from your personal culture that's detrimental to your health and and well-being, the better off you're going to be for sure. So it is World Cancer Day. Let's talk about what there is to gain and reducing your risk of cancer because you're across the research. Mm. What is the research showing with regard to which cancers are particularly affected by uh, alcohol consumption? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, head and neck cancer, throat cancer are very uh, high up there in this, which is which is fascinating because that's clearly the consumption where it happens the most. Prostate cancer with men, too, is, for those who drink, um, the PSA risk is 21% greater uh, in heavy drinkers uh, than in non-drinkers, and, and uh, a 34% greater risk of high-grade PCA 
uh, which is a score of seven or higher, which is obviously a risk factor with PCA, which is the account for a prostate. Um, I'm not the exact term there, but it's to do with your cancer, cancer, uh, if you like, cancer detection. Now, look, just to talk about cancer, I think it's really important because it is. A, we're talking about it quite glibly and sort of, well, not meant to be, but I think it's really important to acknowledge today, as I personally acknowledge that my my wife's father died uh, of cancer, and uh, she was very young and took his life, and it was nothing to do with alcohol. And uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, one of my best my best friends, uh, died unexpectedly of liver cancer three years ago. Again, not a drinker at all. Uh, well, after he was 21, he stopped drinking. Uh, but it, again, it was just it came out of left field, very aggressive, and took his life. Um, and so cancer, and we just I just want to affirm today for those listening that uh, it is a, a difficult thing to work through. And for those who have lost a loved one, you'll know the pain involved with that. And and certainly we don't want to be adding to that duress or distress today. You know, we're saying, well, if they hadn't have drunk, they may have been alive today. We don't want that kind of message to get out there by accident. Certainly not going to be conveyed deliberately. So I just want to make that clear. You know, I think it's really important that the listeners know that there's a lot of factors involved here, but certainly alcohol, beyond a doubt, beyond all question now, unequivocally, it is a contributor to some of the main cancers that are, that are in the marketplace. Uh, sorry, in the marketplace, in the, uh, in the public space at the moment. And so, yeah, we, we want to be for those people and, and risk, particularly if you may have a, you know, a, a predilection or a, pre, a proclivity, a physical proclivity for this. I mean, there's any factor that can diminish your risk is, is one worth embracing, I think, and that's what we all, the message we want to get out today. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Shane Varco is our guest from Dalgano Institute and uh, he's encouraging people to do a Feb fast uh, this February and uh, what, of course, all of this means, uh, encouraging Australians to take an opportunity to take stock of alcohol consumption. We're talking about alcohol uh, as one of those contributing factors uh, that actually causes cancer. It is World Cancer Day. So 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join in our conversation today and uh, we're taking calls. In fact, why don't we take a call? Joseph is on the line from Blacktown in Sydney. Hello, Joseph. Welcome along. Oh, hey, Joseph. Thank you very much. Joseph, you. what are your thoughts? My thoughts are that um, uh, we could actually legislate uh, law uh, that tobacco companies uh, remove all harmful um, products uh, and ingredients from their tobacco. We know that a lot of the carcinogens are, are, are additives to keep the tobacco burning, uh, and that way they can be selling a natural, safe product that is non-addictive. Because uh, they can, um, we can legislate that they they would have to manipulate the uh, the crop that there's uh, very little to no yield of nicotine. And also the additives uh, we know cause all the uh, cancers and things. And so you'd be selling a safe product, which would have only a psychological addiction. Uh, the government can still get their taxes. People can still smoke if they want to. Uh, the hospitals will be unburdened because you won't be having many, many cases of uh, cancer-related diseases caused through uh, the nicotine and the additives. And we could actually do the same thing with alcohol, just, just to make um, legislate that, that beer, for instance, might be you know 0.11% and... and it's even less, and that somebody who you know can drink five cases of beer to get drunk, well, good luck to them. Uh, interesting thoughts there, Joseph. Uh, manipulating what's in the products that people are using. What are your thoughts absolutely. for Joseph? Uh, uh, look, absolutely, Joseph. I, I hear you, and uh, of course, the complexities around 
of tobacco are quite numeral, uh, numerous, and, and as you've mentioned, and you can remove a lot of these elements and certainly the slow burn, of course, then there are people who smoke their own tobacco rolled and, 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 and limited treatment to their own leaf uh, have um, seem to have less difficulty with some of the cancer issues, but it's more than that. There are other factors that are involved. And, of course, in the end of the day, once you remove all the psychoactive substances and or pleasure-creating mechanisms in these substances, then they become redundant. They're engaged because they alter their psychosocial state and so uh, and, and environment. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's a great idea. I think you need to do that. And, of course, now vaping's in play, which has got its own set of problems as well. You can smoke because uh, the vaping process actually eliminates a lot of the, uh, certainly the smoke particles, which is a contributor to lung cancer. So those mechanisms are also uh, touted as you know, new, safer ways to engage in the product. But, of course, they've got their own issues as well, which we won't go into right now, but we've got that on our website and now www.nobrainer.org.au website on our uh, Get a Clue Parties section. We talk about vaping and the negative impacts of that and how it's actually been counterproductive in both re- reducing smoking and also it's used to engage in um, marijuana, uh, particularly in cannabis use. So again, it's the downside of all these things. And again, we want to reduce demand generally so people feel they don't need to engage. When it comes to alcohol, to, to the credit of CUB, and we have, uh, we have actually acknowledged that uh, in letter form. They brought out a product called Zero, um, which is an alcohol-free f- beer. So they worked very hard to create a beer that tastes like beer, as best they can, without, with zero alcohol content, which is a product that we, we promote um, the, for those who want a, a different engagement with beer to try the, uh, to the Zero brand, the Carlton United, and United Breweries Zero product. Uh, it has no alcohol in it at all, and I think that's a, a great alternative for those. And, of course, there are other other non-de-alcoholized and non-alcoholic um, wines that are out there that can be engaged as well. So there's alternatives to actually you can still have the engagement with the substance that does not have the alcohol content. So, yeah, I agree. There's, there's different ways around this, um, but certainly uh, a, a lot of those approaches are kind of in play at the moment. Joseph from Blacktown, thank you so much for your thank call. You. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. To join in our conversation today, we are talking alcohol. It is World Cancer Day and uh, you can give us a call or you can leave a note on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Let me ask you about some of the research uh, that is actually there that says when there has been a change in alcohol consumption per capita, there has been a positive associated change in both male and female and particularly around the idea of uh, neck cancer. Uh, there's all sorts of different cancers. Uh, this yep. is one of those. So there is evidence here that if you do change your routine, change your habit, uh, there is a health benefit. Yeah, there is a reduction, like with all substances. Uh, no, the no use is the best practice, of course, <laughs> and that's where the A word comes in, abstinence. You know, it's a dirty word, according to certainly the, the the promoters of substance use, which is the alcohol industry, tobacco industry, and and the pro drug lobby. They they always they don't want the A word in the conversation. Uh, but yeah, certainly no consumption is best practice, and and the lesser consumption uh, also lessens risk, as the, as you've said. The research talks about the World Health. Um, Health Organization's 2014 report on alcohol consumption um, talks about the, when these uh, risk factors drop when uh, consumption, daily consumption drops. So, in, to, they're going to all the actual figures, but you, to, sometimes you're talking up to 50% drop in the cohort that are, were struggling. Um, 
in the ad negative outcomes. Uh, not always, and, uh, not, and of course everyone's a little bit different. That's one of the difficulties with all of us, and that's, you'll get some people who'll he'll stand up and say, uh, as with other illicit drugs, you know, I took that pill, nothing happened to me, and someone else died from the same pill. Same with alcohol. Uh, it, it does have in, different impacts on different people and different levels for different reasons because we are all quite unique creatures with biochemical markers, DNA, and, and epigenetic responses to different things. So our, the environment and our substances, uh, socialisation, all those things affect the way often even our, our body responds to things. So, yeah, but certainly the, the, the reduction um, across the board has seen a reduction in, um, for example, liver cancer. Just to give you a bit of historical narrative, when the, pro, uh, the constitutional prohibition was introduced in America, not there's been lots of prohibitions, including in Australia. We had prohibition after World War One, no drinking allowed for vets, no drinking, drinking allowed after um, certain times. So we've had prohibition at different levels. But when the Americans introduced their constitutional prohibition, in other words, there could be no public sale, public production or public consumption of alcohol, but you could drink. You could make your own alcohol and drink it yourself. That was always allowed in the United States of America. So people didn't think that, but it was. So it's public consumption, public production, and public distribution and use of alcohol. What happened during that period... Um, Liver um, cancer and, 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 and cirrhosis of liver particularly plummeted. We're talking monumental reductions of you know, 50, 60, 70 percent. Um, domestic violence and familial violence and welfare changed dramatically because of this. So, and that which, which leads into sort of some of the other factors that the World Health Organization reported on. Alcohol not just contributes to cancer, Neil. It contributes to over 200 health conditions and causes around 3.3 million deaths across the globe every year. So this is a legal, socially acceptable drug. And so it, it is it, the reduction of consumption of any of this is going to be to the betterment, not just the individual, but for their family and for the society in general. And that's, a, that's a, I think the driver that most of the socially responsible people that are listening to us want to be part of. And that's what Feb Fast buys into. Not just, uh, it certainly is part of making your world healthier and happier, but it's also helping our community and our families be more functional and, and find better ways to move forward in healthier fashions. Shane, this is certainly a worthwhile conversation to have and no doubt, no no matter what age you might be, because it's interesting because, uh, you know, treading lightly as we were uh, just a short while ago, uh, because you're not really wanting to put people under any sort of guilt trip or uh, to raise regrets and such things, but if you are an older person, you've drunk all your life and you've been diagnosed with cancer and you feel like there might be some sort of connection. It's an interesting thing when you might be at the uh, older end of the spectrum of your life. Uh, The thing is what's happening with the younger end because now if you become aware of these things, uh, being able to share these things in your family with those young people who are perhaps uh, not as likely to be listening to this conversation but somehow or other you've got to grapple with those but this is a message that young people need to hear because if they don't hear it within their family they're likely not to hear it too much at all that's a very good point you know very well done i think that's that's an insight it, it, we tend to we all of us we're creatures of relational creatures we're social creatures social animals so you know we, our perception of what's real not necessarily what's true or right but our perception of what's real is constructed socially and that's done through recency frequency intensity and proximity so what we're immersed in informs the way we act and live. 
so if you're in a family that is has got a, I'm not talking an alcoholic family necessarily, but a family that's immersed in drinking culture, it's part of that. It's a daily activity. We have drinks with our meal every day. We uh, we celebrate. We have a party. We always celebrate with alcohol, and it's quite normal to at least maybe once a week, once a fortnight, to go on a bender and and uh, pay the price. And that kind of that kind of narrative uh, is, is diminishing in our country. We've seen a change in the last. 15 years particularly, but it's still there. So, if you're right, if you're in that space and someone comes along and says, you might get cancer, say, ah, look, my dad's been drinking all his life, he's all right. But what we know from the data now, that cancer is, the, the risk of cancer for those 50 and over is much higher than those younger. Of course, other issues for the younger person, uh, health issues and certainly harm, harms that come from misuse of alcohol, like road accidents, work accidents, uh, violence, those sort of things, they also add to the mix as well. But, yeah, the older people, over 50, they're the ones that are at higher risk of cancer. And what's scary now is now, but since we've had the big push since 2007, 2008, back against the, um, youth alcohol misuse, alcohol pops, taxation, stronger demand reduction, we're seeing a rise in young people not drinking. So the abstinence levels of 14 to 17-year-olds has gone up. And now we're looking at 72% of uh, under 17-year-olds have never drunk alcohol. And that's, that's a really big deal now. Whereas, you know, 30 years ago, that would have been maybe 20% because it was initiation right. That's changed. But what we now find is the new binge drug, of course, according to the research from all the sectors that we're looking at, both social reform sectors as well as medical sectors, they're saying the new binge drinking demographic is the 55 to 65-year-old bracket because they'll sit down and have uh, with their friends because they're seasoned drinkers, They'll sit down and have one or two bottles of red in a setting. It might be over four or five hours, but they'll have that, and they won't. Uh, they'll be intoxicated clearly, but they won't appear to be intoxicated. But what's frightening is the average bottle of red now is running at about seventeen percent proof. Shane, we're going to have to take a yeah. break, and we're going to sure. Vision National News. But let's see if we can hold this thought about older people drinking Absolutely. after Vision National News. We were talking mm. about young people, and uh, you filled us in on some statistics. Uh, less young people who are getting uh, a drinking habit uh, from those young years. But there's uh, this older middle age bracket, uh, which actually is, uh, is less inclined to hold back when it comes to alcohol consumption. Yeah, look, as I mentioned previously, and I won't go to repeat myself too much, but obviously the it's it's a seasoned issue because people have been drinking, uh, and I'm not necessarily talking alcoholics. We're talking about people who drink regularly, consistently, which which contributes to what's called uh, chronic uh, alcohol uh, problems. So, and the health risks of long term regular drinking, and we're not talking acute episodes either, which is when you drink. You know, you're binging at least six, five to six standard drinks uh, in a session over a period of an hour, hour and a half. We're, we're not talking about that. We're just talking about regular drinking. So maybe one or two glasses a day uh, creates a chronic problem that people weren't aware of many years ago, but now becoming more so. But as you get older and you've been doing that regularly, when you sit down, your body's become so acclimatized to the, the rate and amount of consumption that you might have, you know, six or seven glasses in a session or maybe just even one bottle of red wine uh, with some friends on your own, no, you're obviously with friends, but you've drunk the red the bottle of wine yourself, and they've drunk their own bottle of wine, and you're looking at um, somewhat sometimes upwards of six standard drinks in that bottle of red. Not all reds will do that, but some of them will. So we're talking about one bottle of red over a three three hour period. You've had a binge session, 
and you're actually well and truly well you wouldn't be driving and any responsible person wouldn't get into a car of course but it's not just about driving i've done the right thing i've stayed at home and haven't driven it's about the amount of alcohol in your body and now we know from the data that those over 50 the rate of cancer related to alcohol consumption increases markedly. So again, these, it's another risk factor that that middle-aged demographic really needs to consider and when they're engaging in alcohol. Um, yeah. You know, there are occasional drinkers and there are those who mm. sustain a drinking habit across a lifetime. I imagine it's mm. those who've had the long-term consumption of alcohol that are most at risk here uh, because those who are having an occasional drink, there's probably not such a high worry at all, is there? Well, correct. According to the data, it's, it's about volume and consistency and longevity and engagement. And so uh, the occasional drink... Um, in, Every now and then, certainly not going to cause. But again, we don't, and just to be careful on that, because then you start proclaiming safe levels of anything. And of course, this is a, a it, it is a an ethanol, it is a drug. Um, therefore, um, is there a safe level of alcohol? We've just know, found out from from the Lancet and from the World Studies and Health World Health Organization that there is no safe level of alcohol use. So let's be very very clear on that. But you're right. Certainly, what I said before, it's about engagement, longevity, and, and, and volume. And so the occasional drink certainly isn't, well, according to the data, it's not going to give you cancer. And again, depending on your bio- biology as well, and we don't know the history of individuals, you know, and, and of course, strokes can happen for all sorts of reasons. It's another factor of like cancer, but it's another issue that can present when alcohol consumption is engaged in. Again, we didn't, you, you don't know your blood pressure. Some people don't know their blood pressure, their their uh, biochemical markers, their DNA, and all those kind of things. So, but it is very, very unlikely it's going to cause you a problem. But what's interesting, Neil, just as a matter of uh, two things are really important. All the evidence coming out from most agencies about consumption of alcohol, they always, all agencies that are, that are in the health arena will say you should have at least three days a week alcohol-free. So at least three days a week you are abstinent from alcohol. Unfortunately, a lot of families um, tell me, and I've had... People write me letters, you know, quite irate about an ad campaign we did about five years ago. They were quite offended by seeing the ad talked about a young daughter asking her mother for a drink and the ad goes into the future. The mum contemplates it and the daughter ends up drinking more and becomes, you know, obviously a a chronic drinker, uh, ends up in AA, does all sorts of horrible things on the way through, including failing school. Then it comes back, reverses, rewinds back through her eyes and says to her daughter, no, I don't want you to have a drink until you're 18 at least. So that ad created a lot of controversy uh, around uh, the state that, that we advertised in. And uh, we had letters from people, particularly from people who are used to having a glass of wine with their meal. And I just, this is an anecdote worth telling because I remember this gentleman was quite irate saying that, you know, my daughters have been drinking uh, every day since they were 15. They've never been drunk in their lives. They don't overdrink. They don't binge. And, and he went on. And, you know, he's quite upset with me <laughs> with what we've done. And I said, look, I hear that. And then I related the chronic drinking issues to him. I asked him how old his daughters were. They were 26 and 27. So they've been drinking 10 years every day, glass of wine with a meal or two. And then I talked about the issues around chronic alcohol damage and the long-term issues. And the correspondence stopped after that. It just stopped. It, there was no more. I gave him a lot of evidence of that, that because again, it's a daily use chronic. It builds up, and your body gets even though you're used to it. And it's not you're not intoxicated. Well, you are intoxicated a little after one glass of wine, certainly, and you're probably 0.02. 
Uh, but two glasses of red wine, you definitely have a 0.05. So again, we've got to be concerned about that as well. That's another issue, the chronic use. So three days a week minimum, alcohol-free, no alcohol at all. Certainly not binging at all. So five, five standard drinks or more in a session is a binge. That's also not a good idea at all. And then the last thing I want to mention in this space, particularly from a parental mode, we now know from evidence, recent data and research coming out of the UK, that they've looked at um, misuse and abuse and neglect of children under care, under, um, uh, under parental care. So two parents in the home. Um, and they found a correlation that three drinks or more a day can lead to neglect and even abuse of those under your watch. Not necessarily we're talking about violence and, and beating up, but just not getting fed properly, not being paid attention to, uh, being left to their own devices, being ignored, uh, doing behaviour that's undetected and growing bad habits. So all those factors, this is out of a, one of the major charities in, in uh, the UK. So three drinks a day or more can lead to neglect or abuse of your children. And that's a pretty frightening statistic when you think about some of the issues around substance use in our culture and the emerging generation. Uh, you know, when we're parents and the effects that we have not only in our current parenting capacity if we're mm. diminished because of alcohol, uh, but also those values that we're forming in our children when they're seeing us oh, drink. Uh, these are the sorts of things... I suppose that uh, as a steward of your family, as uh, say if you're the parent, uh, you feel responsible for the raising of your children. You've got parents who are teaching their children how to drink responsibly, and I'll get your thoughts on that too. But these values that are sown into our children at these young ages, they will stay with the children through into later life and need to be mindful of those values being sown into our children at the, uh, the earliest st stage. Yeah, absolutely. I think modelling is a key issue, and as we did allude to before, that you know, obviously sometimes the culture, alcohol consumption culture, is quite strong in a lot of Australian well, the stereotypical, the old Aussie, you know, hard drinking family, which is kind of gone now. We're grateful for that, and I think most families look at that model and sort of cringe now. But you know, we're talking about um, you know when, and you made the you alluded to the idea of teaching your children how to drink responsibly. It's interesting that we've had this conversation before, but to, to repeat it, to reiterate, sorry, that, that the best practice is uh, for the developing brain is to have no substance use at all, including alcohol, up to the age of 21. 25, in fact, is better, but 21 is, is a benchmark. Now, of course, the legal drinking age is 18, which was changed during the Vietnam War. And so the last state to reduce its our, our legal limit for drinking at 21 down to 18 was South Australia. So it took five years to drop the age the legal age to drink from 21 to 18 in Australia, which is uh, disappointing because that's created a whole lot of problems for us because the younger you start, the greater the risk. So you've got a family modelling. They're watching you drink and if some parents say, look, I'll give my 15-year-old a drink and they'll learn how to drink responsibly. Unfortunately, culturally, that doesn't seem to work in Anglo settings. And we've looked at juxtaposing that with some of the Mediterranean settings and other settings. It doesn't seem to work at all well with Anglo settings. Best practice is to to tell your children and to model your children so you don't need to drink we're not going to drink excessively we drink on the occasion and until you're 18 we, we, we don't want you to drink at all we want for your health and your well-being when you're 18 you have to make your own choice and we're seeing more and more kids taking up that, that mantle as long as their parents are holding that more parents want to hold that line than that are known and in, a, in Victoria only it took, a, it took years because Queensland had it 
uh, New South Wales had it, but we had um, laws in this state where uh, a child under the age of 16, under the age of 18, could drink any amount they wanted as long as there was an adult in the room. Now, in other states like New South Wales and I think Queensland as well, you had to have a parental consent for that child to drink. So they introduced laws, what they call secondary supply laws here in Victoria, about two years ago, and there was $7,000 fines for people who supplied alcohol to a minor without a written permission. Now, we used to have major problems in country Victoria and in Melbourne of wild out-of-control parties because kids would rock up, the, the parents of the 16-year-old holding the, 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 the function would put on a kegger, and everyone's getting absolutely off their face drunk. Police are called out, there's violence, there's vandalism, there's riots in the streets, and nothing could be done because they were, you know, they're under the supervision of an adult. So these new laws are brought in, everything stopped. It just stopped. Because every incident of a child drink, drunk or having a drink in their hand under the age of 18 that didn't have a written consent was an $8,000 fine. So guess who wasn't running parties anymore? Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. So yes. yeah, I think modelling is important, absolutely important. Uh, let's talk about the issue men and women because uh, women tend to uh, have a more significant effect uh, under the influence of alcohol than men and that's why uh, you know those guidelines are different for women than they are right. for men uh, i know that in the, before the news we mentioned uh, things like prostate cancer and uh, sure. all sorts of neck and throat cancers. What about breast cancer? What about mm. women and those things that women are concerned about? Is there any uh, detail in the research about breast cancer and the effects on women? Yeah, look, the, the breast cancer issue is, is still emerging. There is very strong evidence, according to Can um, Cancer Council, as well as women's hospitals, that there is a coalition, um, a correlation between the two. They're, they're trying to pin down as far as the re evidence that we can get access to because they're not making a uh, carte blanche statement. They know it contributes to breast cancer. Uh, direct correlation about volume and breast cancer has still not, not been uh, fully tested. It's about getting hold of subjects uh, and who are willing to, to be completely honest about their consumption. And that's still one of the issues around a lot of the investigation into this is that Guys tend to be a little bit more open about their consumption, women not to be. But, the, but besides the breast cancer, now, one of the biggest concerns about alcohol consumption and the 25 to 45-year-old female demographic is that, you know, I've heard the, these terrible terms, yummy mummies and their wine clubs, and there's even a, an alcoholic beverage made in the north coast of New South Wales called uh, Mummy's Little Helper uh, and Mummy's Juice. Now, these were marketed uh, 10 years ago. They've been taken off, I think, the market now or, or certainly downplayed. The idea of stress management and what we're seeing now, not just reported in the news, but so the evidence coming through emergency departments, the misuse of alcohol amongst women in that age bracket is going through the roof. And they're almost as much, if not in some sectors, higher in their consumption rate than men. And the abuse of alcohol is a real concern. And you have women being pulled up at 0.12, picking up their kids from school in the afternoon, primary school, 0.22, uh, and this is both in Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, it's just uh, absolutely outrageous. In the middle of the day, these women, are mothers, you know, coming away from luncheons, absolutely, and the word is wasted, 
and driving a car to pick up the kids from school. So the, the idea that this is kind of a, a rite of passage, like I'm, I'm stressed, I'm having difficulty, and the glass of red fixes it. You know, So again, we're, we're dealing with some of the why factors behind this and some of the increase that's going on. And, and so research around trying to get that person to talk about their alcohol consumption and then to do regular checkups to see how that's influencing their their biology and moving forward. Obviously, it's creating harm to the liver. That's pretty universal. But when it comes to the breast cancer, again, answering that question, there is a correlation, and that's that's not disputed. But what level, how much, how strong? It's still to be to be worked out. I suppose the other, other only other one that's a big concern and can remain a big issue is uh, expectant mothers and women who are trying to have babies or are pregnant should not be drinking alcohol at all for the sake of the child because of the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder conundrum, which is a growing issue and a big concern for the next generation. But it's another subject for another day. Well, in this context, we're talking about all of the contributing factors. When we've got alcohol and more than 200 health conditions, as you mentioned a little earlier, so far as I'm aware, somewhere in excess of 3 million deaths across the yes. globe each year. We haven't even mentioned things like uh, road tolls, uh, those sorts of no, things. Of course, but, of course, yeah. uh, but this is uh, a leading cause of death factor uh, is alcohol. And so, therefore, our approach to it is going to be very important. You speak to groups, and you're based in Victoria, Dalgano yes. Institute, and uh, you speak to groups. You get invitations to speak widely. Uh, Shane, what sort of responses are you getting from people? people when they start to hear you talk about some of these statistics and the research uh, you know people are shocked by that or is it that they've heard these things before and uh, they're being reinforced what sort of reaction do you get well i think in the last 10 years we've seen a huge shift with uh, the government's taking on board a lot of the data and a lot of the research i think the alcohol industry has lost a lot of its power in the both political and the uh, space as well as in the commercial space because Advertising would come out against the advertising, particularly in, in certain areas. And, of course, that marketing we now know from all this, the strategies, that, and unfortunately online marketing remains a big problem because kids don't pick it, and the online marketing is pretty much unregulated. But we know that for each advertise, according to the data, for each advertisement a child sees on alcohol consumption increases their likelihood of drinking by 1%. Now, that's actually quantified data. So we know that uh, we're reducing advertising, increasing taxation uh, and availability and accessibility to alcohol will reduce consumption and reduce, the obviously, the effects of consumption. And, of course, raising the drinking age back to 21, which is a, a project we've been part of since 1988 uh, and got a lot of traction in 2013-14, a huge amount of traction, uh, and, and almost got across the line in, in getting some political uh, weight going, was to raise the drinking age back to 21. Big call, big difficult thing to do. But from a, um, a biological uh, health perspective, it's the best move because it is the, the last one, and all the science on that is very clear. If you start drinking after the age of 21, uh, and after the age of 25, of course, even better, then the likelihood of alcoholism, chronic misuse of alcohol, acute misuse of alcohol, all grows. Uh, oh, sorry, all diminishes. So it's it's wonderful tactic. But we use that 21 age limit as a foil for other issues. So it does motivate taxation it doesn't motivate better licensing it does motivate uh, removal of advertising it doesn't motivate um, shorter shorter trading hours so we're, we're using that as a, as a vehicle to, to help the culture recalibrate itself <laughs> in its uh, consumption but yeah look i think i think uh, from a uh, from a health perspective a long-term perspective 
we are seeing a lot of change. And so when I talk to people about it, a lot of them are now going, whereas five, six years ago, they're going, <gasps> there's gasps in the room or there was cringes and people walked out because they were offended uh, because, you know, we're challenging a, a, an idea. But now most people are kind of warming up to it, except for mums. I've noticed that a lot of women, when we've spoken to them, a lot of them are quite defensive about their alcohol consumption. And we've seen that. That's a bit, that's a bit concerning. Um, and again, some of the clubs that are out there promoting women and wine and mummies wine groups, and they're not helping the course um, at all. And so it's a bit of a concern. And of course, the last one before we head off, I think well, we could spend a lot of time on that. One of the biggest issues for the socially, uh, social justice-minded consumer out there, and I think more and more of us are far more aware of social justice issues on a global perspective, things like, you know, child trafficking and um, poverty and homelessness and and uh, the environment and all that, and all those very important and vital issues that we all should be aware of and acting appropriately around. It's interesting when it comes to the sustainable development goals globally that were set many years ago to help the, the developing world uh, improve their standards, their health outcomes, their productivity outcomes, their well-being outcomes, their lifestyle, uh, their um, longevity outcomes. All those things... There were 17 goals that were set in play, and I won't list them right now, but just for your your listeners to contemplate. But of those 17, and it's worth looking up, sustainable development goals. They're on our website, but you can just, just, just Google sustainable development goals. Of those 17, 13, 13 of those are influenced by alcohol. The availability and use of alcohol. Now that... That's got to that's got to kickstart something in the psyche of your listener, and they've got to go. Oh, hang on a minute! Wow, do we want to help the developing world? I, can I put down a class one carcinogen that has no health benefit? In fact, it diminishes me in a lot of ways. Can I willing to put that down for the sake of a of a developing nation and those who are far, far more disadvantaged than I am. I think that's a question we should be asking ourselves more and more. Mm. And one that's hard to ask, particularly when you like a, a red and it helps you relax using the terms of the, uh, the, the uh, alcohol user, helps me uh, relax, helps me feel good about me and all those kind of things. I, I get that. That's a very strong argument. Uh, the the self, self-gratification one is very strong. But when we start juxtaposing that with some of the most critical issues of the, of the planet, then we need to go, wow, you know. And yeah, we really need to rethink that. And just a, the amount of water used to make one litre of alcohol is frightening. There are so, anyway, so many we, dimensions we to this conversation, and we do need yeah. to wrap things up. But uh, sure. coming back to the fact that it is World Cancer Day today, mm-hmm. uh, yep. you have got a project called Feb Fast, Go Alcohol Free for February, and you don't have to wait until uh, February each year to do that. And there's a number of other different uh, yep. focuses, aren't there, through the year? Dry July, yep. and yep. Uh, one that you started Oxo- too, I think, uh, Fence Oxo- Building Oxo- Fortnite. We, we started in uh, 1988 called Feb. We, we rebadged it called the Fence building fortnight. In other words, building fences at the top of the cliff. So in other words, you go 14 days without alcohol. We have a journal that goes with that. And what you do is we, we with the journal, we just write down how much each day you would have spent on alcohol. Some days it'll be nothing. Other days it might be three or four drinks. So you write down the amount you would have saved. You put it in the piggy bank. But also write down each day how you're feeling. So that little journal helps you track that. We've done this with a couple of different groups and it's amazing. People have come out of it going, that was the best thing I've ever done. I want to keep going. Others are saying, I do not ever want to do that again. I don't like you people go away. <laughs> and some uncolourful language around it. Because they realised that after five days of going alcohol-free, they were really a mess and they didn't like it at all. 
But also we help people raise money for causes that are important to them. So it doesn't have to go to a the Cancer Council or someone else, which are great causes, by the way, but, but they might go for this sporting club. They might put down the alcohol in their sporting club for 14 days and raise some money, and, and we, uh, we match some of that money dollar for dollar or give free seminars or, or free uh, talks to the group uh, that, uh, that are a cost value of five $600 for nothing to help them uh, change the culture of this okay. So groups so and clubs can actually uh, use your system yes. and uh, use it as a fundraiser. It's a good right. initiative. Yeah. Look, I'll point people to dalganoinstitute.org.au. You'll find some detail there about FebFast. And there's also something you can subscribe to, the no-brainer uh, mailing that comes out fairly frequently, nobrainer.org.au. You can subscribe when you go onto the No Brainer website, uh, Shane? Correct. Absolutely. Just put your email address in there and away we go. Okay. With the latest research, the latest developments, the latest releases that come from Shane Varco in his role at CEO at the Dalgano Institute. Shane, always appreciate your insights. Thanks so much for sharing them with us today on 2020. Oh, look, Neil, always a pleasure. And thank you for your time and uh, to, to your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.